beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Joshua Black. Joshua, welcome. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me on again. It's, uh, it's always great to be a part of the show. And uh, once again, thank you everyone for listening to the podcast and also hearing the stories that people tell because their, their journeys, their stories, you know, live through sort of your ears. And so we have an amazing guest today that's probably going to tell us more stories that we've never heard before. We have on our podcast today, Megan Brain. Uh, Megan grew up in Los Angeles, California and specializes in paper sculpture designs. Her career in the arts began in 2004 at Cartoon Network Studios when she art directed an animated paper sculpture music video for Andre Benjamin's Class of 3000. Since that time, Megan has been primarily creating work for the Walt Disney Imagineering Division. She has exhibited in galleries and her paper sculptures have been featured in children's television shows such as Yo Gabba Gabba and Tangled Before Ever After and film and credits for DreamWorks Madagascar 2 and paper character designs for Leica's Kubo and the Two Strings. Megan, welcome. Hey. So you go by your, you go by your maiden name, Megan Brain, but uh, do you sometimes go by your married name of Tyndall? Yes. Yeah. Um, Megan brings my married name. And when I um, got started doing art, I was unmarried. So and I also thought brain was a great name to keep because it's just easy to remember. And you guys probably know that having you both have pretty distinctive, memorable last names too, black and ram. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. And um, I never realized until I got married that Tyndall can get messed up a lot. (laughs) It's actually kind of been a a harder name I, I get tingle or i don't know tindle it gets kind of messed up but yeah for for the most part i i kept brain for my work on um kubo i did tindle because it was my husband's film and so um for those credits i said yeah let's keep tindle for that so yeah i sort of have a dual identity i'm like legally i'm a tindle but kind of keeping the brain too hopefully well, it doesn't people... cause too much confusion in my career well i think i think now it, it clears it up um, but some people have like even like like writers they have like fake names. Like, did, did you ever um, think of like a, a fake like name moving forward? <laughs> you know what? I've 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 thought about just going by my initials. I've good my initials are like MB, which oh, that kind of reminds me of Montgomery Burns from uh, The Simpsons. <laughs> but you know, sometimes I've thought about it in the case of being androgynous, sort of like people wouldn't know whether I was a man or a woman. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I ever get discriminated against. I feel like I've had a pretty good career and opportunities being a woman. And um, what's funny, though, is my husband, he goes by his middle name, which is Shannon. And he's wondered, we were kind of joking. He's like, I wonder if I've been sexually discriminated against because there's a lot of female Shannons out there in the world. You never know, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. So it's like one of those names that can go either way. So he was kind of joking about that once. No, actually, he joked about it, but it was true. He actually did get an email from a woman saying like, oh, you're doing such great things for such great things for women with your work. And he goes, oh, thanks a lot. But I'm a, I'm a dude, actually. <laughs> yeah. So actually, he, it has, he has kind of been mistaken that way. But yeah, having a shortened, like my name has served me well, I must admit. And you know, you know, I like that idea. Maybe we could change the name to Ram and Black or Black or Ram. I think that might, that might go Black over Ram. well. Maybe we'll get Black more Ram downloads. Black Ram sounds kind of ominous. <laughs> <laughs> Black Ram sounds like, yeah. yeah but I bet with your names too, would you do a weird, like I'd, sometimes I'd hyphenate, like 
I'd meet somebody with a crazy last name and especially brain, you know, it's just like a funny pairing sometimes, you know, with other it, people. It, yeah. It sticks in your head. So that's great. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe that might work for you. I don't want to discourage your maiden name or your married name, but you know, yeah. When we're talking about this, I'm actually in my head, I always like play with things. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was always thought it would be funny if your husband's last name was Pinky and your name was Brain. Yeah, exactly. always watch the show back in the day. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. My whole life. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about that. Different wow. combos. That's pretty cool. And, and so let's get into where you came from, because that's an interesting story as well. You're now when I was reading your bio, I read that your father was an animator. Could you speak on that and maybe growing up in that household? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my dad, um, he went to art school for illustration. And then they said, they looked at his portfolio and said, I think you'd be better suited for animation. So he started focusing on that. But then he graduated and the Vietnam War was going on and he got drafted in the army. So he, right after art, art school, he actually had to do some service time in the army and the cool thing about that is that um he was stationed out in uh, alabama and that's where he met my mother out there so it's funny i've always thought the vietnam war was such a horrible thing you know it it was such an unpopular war and then i realized like i wouldn't even be here (laughs) if it wasn't for that it's just well, it's kind of bizarre circumstances that history, you know. Yeah, that was the silver lining. Yeah, sure. I know. So um, so he met her out there, and um, they got married, and she moved out to California. But she loved California, and um, she was very um, – she's a very fun person. She grew up in a tight-knit Irish Catholic family in the South, and uh, she was the youngest of four children. And um, – Tragedy kind of struck her at age four. She um, contracted polio, and the polio virus was kind of uh, hitting a lot of people in that time. And she was just, I just looked it up, she was seven years away from the vaccination. Like, she contracted it seven years from when there was um, a vaccine. So, but she kind of had to go into children's hospitals. It, It affected her leg, one of her legs and her feet, and it just looked sort of atrophied or she didn't develop quite normally there. She was um, a little lady to begin with, but she was very active and she kind of, she just didn't let it get to her. And she was still like a a good dancer and she just always wanted to have fun and she was very vivacious and she was cute. So um, she's really kind of handled adversity really well, uh, starting from when she was a kid. The only bummer is that she picked up smoking because she was in a children's hospital and she and another girl were so so bored that they would go to the bathroom and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> so wow. that's kind of where she got her like smoking addiction, like I think when she was 14 or something that's at a crazy. young age. In a hospital, she picked it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's just kind of shows She sort of had that like Catholic bad girl streak in her. She liked to mess around with the nuns, too, like play pranks on them. And I think at Easter, she left a six-pack of beer in an Easter basket with, like, Easter grass all over it. And I don't know, just <laughs> she's just always into trying to have, yeah, exactly, yeah. She just, it's kind of the person just always trying to have fun, you know? And maybe because she saw so much serious, uh, she saw a lot of darkness, too. I think also she didn't talk about it a lot, like, but what she saw in the 60s in Birmingham, you know, all those racial tensions happening back then. And it turns out, actually, I didn't know until I was growing up that being Catholic was a super unpopular 
thing back in the South in the 50s and 60s, probably before that too. So that's that's so amazing when you sort of like talking about your your mother's and father's journey, because a lot of people I don't think ask who they were prior to like being raised by them. You know, like yeah. it was, took after my father passed away for me to ask some of the questions of who he was as a child, because for some Absolutely. reason he didn't exist as a kid, right? Like he just no, so, yeah, there. we're so self-absorbed. <laughs> and then you're right, and then it's like you just hope that before it's too late, you mature into a person who's like, hey, I'm kind of actually curious about. You know what? I find it helps. Any sort of shortcomings your parents have, I think it's really great to think about how they grew up and then you have more compassion for whatever those shortcomings are. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think, you know what I'm saying? Like once you've he- heard how they were raised or the adversities, things that you think that maybe aren't perfect with them, you start to become a little bit more understanding about that yeah, and more def- forgiving of that and see them as humans, you know? That's true. Um, I did. That's exactly what happened to my father, right? He, he had did? A, yeah, he had a troubled past. I'm like, oh, that makes all so much sense why he started drinking, right? So it's yeah. like you understand that stuff and you sort of, yeah, the pain and stuff, you're like, oh, like if I probably grew up in that time, I probably would have been the same way, you know? So exactly. Yeah, you definitely yeah. have that compassion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm proud. Like my dad's side of the family, they were, um, grandmother was a professional pianist, organ player. She was actually like a prodigy as a child. And so I feel sort of lucky. I come from like a lineage on that side of artists and therefore art was always seen as a very plausible career where I know there's lots of parts of the world or the country where people are discouraged to go into the arts because the parents are so afraid that they're just never going to be able to survive, you know, mm-hmm. making a living in the arts. And um, I feel very lucky because my grandmother supported my dad when he showed excitement for the visual arts. She got him classes with a watercolorist and sort of took charge of his uh, interest, you know, and, and encouraged it and let it grow. And um, yeah, I'd say the same for my dad. I was interested in acting first and he was very encouraging of that and helped, helped take me, drop me off at plays and, you know, took me to plays, took me to movies, took me to foreign films, you know, to uh, keep that going. And, um, and then, yeah, once I decided to go into the visual arts. That was, you know, wasn't a scary idea. And, um, you know, it's, it's just as long as you work hard and you have good work to show people, you'll, you can have a career. But I'm also lucky because I'm in Los Angeles. So I have a lot of admiration for people who move out. I have a lot of friends from Canada, from all over the States who had to make that huge risk to leave their hometown, you know, to pursue a dream in um in entertainment and it's I, yeah i think it, t- it takes a lot of guts and like i said my husband's he's one of those people who took a big risk but it really paid off it's amazing what courage can do in your life when it comes to making risky choices when it comes to even dating someone that maybe the people around you say you know that, that you shouldn't date to finding a career or finding a passion inside you and, and saying you know wh- whatever the world says i'm not agreeing with there's still a chance for me. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's rare, I think, to find people with a lot of courage. You know, I, I see a lot of people all around. And that's one thing that they do lack because they, the world puts so much fear in them that, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to fail. But yeah, that's, that's great that you have friends that have, have done that. And so going back to your, your childhood, you, you're an actor to begin with, but then you change. So what was, why did you change from being an actor to start doing more of the visual arts? I was fine doing acting as a kid. I thought it was a lot of fun and I kept it up. I do plays local. I actually even auditioned for a show. There's a, a, a cattle call. That's when they just sort of let everybody come. And I got a call back 
and I went to the callback, and I think it went okay. I didn't find out till I was 13 at the time. I didn't find out till I was 21 that it was for that Roseanne Barr show, <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually second runner-up for the part of Darlene. Oh, wow. I didn't even know. Yeah. And my dad just didn't bother telling He's like, oh, we really liked Megan, but we already casted a blonde as the older daughter. And um, I, that blew my mind. But I'm so, I'm, I'm so grateful. You know, of course, at the time as a kid, that would have been my dream, you know, if I wanted to be an actor. But now I look back, I'm like, I would have never found paper sculpture. You know, I would have never found what I am in, into now. And also, I just, like I said, I discovered my personality once I got into college, and I was in a local community college drama class, being recorded, going on stage, I was very frustrated with not knowing how I was doing. Or if I did see myself on video, I'd be so critical. Like, oh, I can't stand my voice or I look or how I'm walking. And it just, it just sort of, it didn't, it didn't feel good. It felt good to do it in the moment, but I just got too self-conscious about all that other stuff. And then I sort of realized, well, maybe I'll do animation. I sort of, as I was acting, I was always drawing. My dad had uh, life drawing workshops that I would go to and he would, um, he would uh, organize them. He wouldn't do a lot of teaching there. He just facilitated uh, the classes for artists to practice their life drawing skills. So I always kept that up. I was like, maybe I need to go into animation because in the animation, you're acting and you can be anybody you want to be. And I was like, I think that interests me a lot more. I went to school for animation and actually studied 2D animation and CG animation was just starting to be taught and flourish. But yeah, 2D animation was sort of really kind of dying at the time when I was in college. It was only sort of being really being done in um, on TV. But yeah, then when I got out of school too, I actually wasn't I was fine in school as an animator. I did. I think I did pretty well in my classes, but I wasn't quite right, ready for the professional world. You know, I wasn't quite up to it, up to par to get like a professional job. I actually found myself working as a PA and coordinator at animation studios because I loved being around animation people. Um, like you said earlier, my, my dad was in animation and um, I grew up around a lot of fun uh, grown-ups that were in animation. So got into that. I worked there, but I was sort of depressed because I wasn't really doing art. And I started taking a class, I want to say, I think it was three or four years after I was out of art school, I took a class with this amazing teacher. And he's also a paper sculptor. And in the class, he taught design and color. And he also showed some examples of paper sculpture techniques that he did. And um, he just totally opened the door for me. I suddenly had all these ideas of things I wanted to create. And the color and design class he taught was so clear and um, helpful uh, that I wasn't afraid of color anymore either. So that allowed me to start making more artwork and exploring ideas and kind of get my uh, passion back for the visual arts. That's amazing. It's amazing to get that passion back because you said it was gone ever since you sort of really didn't want to do the uh, acting anymore and you knew that. And yeah. then you're just trying to find, it's like trying to figure out where your dream lies. And it's nice that you said like you happened to sort of meet that right person to spark that interest in you. And so is there a lot of people that go to paper sculpting classes? Like is this, was this no. something that was like big? You know what? So the class, like I said, it was primarily 
Um, my husband took it with me too because he went to Cal Arts, and this teacher, his name is Leo Monahan, and he um, he taught. He was a famous teacher out of Cal Arts. He actually taught. I don't know if you've ever heard of the German Bauhaus School. Uh, no. They they produce a lot of really great and important artwork. A lot of their, I want to say like a lot of the students that came out of that school helped perpetuate the whole like modern movement of uh, mid-century modern architecture, design. It's very popular now, but it's basically art from the like 50s and 60s. And um, basically the school fell apart because of World War II. Like it was, it was um, right. closed down. Yeah. So, but anyway, the instructors there, a lot of them left Germany and came to New York and Los Angeles and passed on that educational tradition and knowledge from that school. And like I said, our friend, our, um, yeah, he's our friend too, our friend and teacher, Leo. He, um, I want to say is like second or third generation of those teachers kind of continuing that specific style of color and design, which is, it's very scientific, but it's, it's very logical. And what's great though, is it narrows everything down. So basically what you learn is what, what do you want to present to the world? How do you want this piece to feel? If you want it to feel happy, if you want it to feel scary, it helps you narrow down what choices to make that psychologically are very effective to people. And they may not even understand, people don't even understand why these color schemes make them feel the way they do, but there's actually like scientific backing to that, to color theory. So uh, that was just mind-blowing for me. And it's also, like I said, it took so much of the guesswork out of approaching artwork. I used to just be like, I don't know, I'll try red. I don't know, I'll try green. And then after I took that course, I know exactly how to approach a project and how to select appropriate colors and, and the amounts of each color. So, sorry, I'm getting kind of technical. with. No, <laughs> no, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. But, but yeah, no, so actually you mentioned like the paper sculpture thing. He didn't, he doesn't really teach it or he didn't. He just did samples in class of, um, he would score, he would create like a beautiful bird feather and he would score and he would cut and he was just drawing with his knife and I was just amazed by it. And um, uh, he saw that I had an interest, so he would give me challenges. He would tell me to create different, come up with seven different textures of paper. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'd go home and play around with that. And um, I still to this day try to like remember that it doesn't only have to be cut paper, that you can add a lot of different interests to the paper by doing different techniques. And there's actually so many to work with. Yeah, now I'm trying to remember what... <laughs> Do you remember some of the first pieces you made and what were some of your favorites? Yes. So the first piece I ever made was a Hong Kong junk ship. Do you know what those are? No, They're but... They're really cool looking ships in Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong Bay. They have really distinct shape to them. And I don't, I don't know, maybe I'd just seen like a movie with them in it. But I was like, I'm going to make that first. Wow. And then I made like a 1920s lady. Um, I, had, I still have my ship because I'm like, prou I'm proud of that guy, how he turned out. And I just did it in all white paper. And but I remember then I got really interested in doing a vintage fashion. I saw, I just like suddenly I was going through books and everything I looked at, I wanted to make. And um, after art school, I just didn't, I just didn't have any inspiration and desire to make anything. I would just, or if I, I, 
find an artist that I liked and I just start copying what they did. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, this isn't, this isn't being very honest to, you know, my own art or creating something original. Actually, it's funny, Leo, my teacher, he mentioned to us in, in, in our class that there's this book called Art and Fear. And it actually, one of the points in the book, it's a very short book, which is good because a lot of, I think a lot of artists have short attention spans. <laughs> one of the points in the book is um, a lot of people leave art school. And I, I'm sure this is like for a lot of disciplines, but all of a sudden you don't have projects, you don't have peers, you don't have deadlines. You know what I'm saying? And, and, um, and people can just go stagnant. And uh, that really resonated with me. I was like, yeah, that's what happened to me. I just, it's, it's almost like I, I didn't have any mission anymore, you know, than besides just to try to find a job, drawing something. For a while, I wanted to be a prop designer. That's where you're responsible for everything except the background of the character in a television show. Um, just, you know, if somebody picks up a banana or drives a car, that's your responsibility. And I think I was so hungry to just have work and where I was drawing that I was doing that. I was putting, and I actually did props for like one show I worked on, but I wasn't into it. You know, I wasn't like loving drawing cars or, you know, so part of me kind of could tell that was more like an ego thing at the time. It was more like I was just so anxious to tell people I had a job in animation <laughs> rather than pursuing something, you know, I really loved. And then once I found the paper sculpture, I wasn't, it's like I was just trying to make myself have fun and I didn't think I could have any sort of career out of it. But like I said, suddenly I just had a passion for something. And um, like I said, yeah, I, I was doing the fashion girls. I did Brazilian carnival dancers. Yeah, I saw that one. I, I I saw that picture on your Instagram, and I was I was creeping your Instagram, and they just look amazing. Like some of these things, they just pop, and I you know you could see everything had a purpose, including like you said the color, um, how how the shape was, and the pieces, and it looks like like it's like a language you picked up, and you got excited about this new language, and you're like, hey, what's this word in this language? What's this word in that language? I mean, that's how I would like. That's how I kind of see it. Whereas like maybe animation, everybody was kind of doing it and it kind of didn't give you kind of the structure. Sometimes we need, I think, limits where it's yeah. like, okay, now work with this. And now yeah. diet is kind of like that where when if people talk about certain diet restrictions like vegetarianism, I think, not that I'm a vegetarian, but if I was to cook and make meals in that, someone gave me that restriction, I think I'd be more creative because then I'd have yeah. to find beauty in that. Is that kind yeah. of how the paper uh, sculpting took you? Sure. Yeah, actually, that's something else our teacher bring up, creativity within limitations, you know? That actually, it's like we need those limitations because or else we don't even know where, where to begin, you know? God, you made me think of like 10 different things. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, and another curious thing, what I'd like to go to is how, how do you make a still paper sculpture animated or like with stop motion? How does, it get, how does that oh. happen? Okay, well, on projects I've worked on in the past, they've used a couple different techniques. Um, I worked on a United Airlines heart commercial, and that was actually all traditional stop motion with like these flat paper puppets. And um, we had like a train, you know, experienced stop motion animators uh, just frame by frame moving them. And then um, it's pretty tedious, but it's pretty beautiful. And then later I got to work on the Madagascar 2 end credits. 
it was actually the same group of people, but in this instance, they did the animation in a program called After Effects. And so I created the puppets based from the movie um, in paper, but they were in parts. Like I created the head, the arms, the lower arm, the lower legs. And they take a picture of those all deconstructed, and then the computer, they create the puppet by putting it all back together, and then they're able to animate it. So I've sort of kind of worked in both worlds. With the Leica Kuba project, I um, made three-dimensional sculptures, and then those were taken down to the puppet fabrication department. And those people, I'm amazed at how they figured out how to make armatured puppets with their constraint of using something like paper because it's almost like they were like armadillos or something. It's just, it's like they had a really restrictive hard shell on them. And um, so it's pretty fascinating to me the way they were able to execute that and those puppets. And which process, I don't know, you would think that the, the, the process with the technology would be faster, but oh. much faster? Uh, I'd say the After Effects, the computer, yeah. for sure, because also we can manipulate what color it is, what size it is. Mm. Like if they, if the director's like, you know what? She made Alex's feet a little too small. Can you make them bigger? And they could just scale it up right then and there. It's a lot more forgiving. So, and um, yeah, I mean, I think it has charm too. And I think it's all sort of in the way that the director and the animators decide on how to execute these things. Because I think like an instance with the Madagascar, they tr- I think he came from a place where he liked stop motion. So I think he tried to emulate a stop motion look with those, with that project. Right. Yeah. And so with Kubo and the two strings, so let's just talk about that movie. Cause I, okay. you know, I really enjoyed it. I saw it. Um, I saw half of it actually last week. I saw the other half uh, yesterday and just amazing story. I mean, it really talks about a lot of what we do on the podcast is, but just talk about grief, try to make grief more, um conducive to a larger audience and also you know we we try to bring people to be able to share their stories and be able to talk about it without feeling like it's a topic with stigma attached to it or you know people get uncomfortable with death or you know but yeah it it really it really touched on my heartstrings definitely not to throw a pun in there but it uh the story (laughs) no yeah i just got that But yeah, I mean, again, like it's amazing story. And, and again, congratulations on the work that you've done with it, because you can really see the hard work that everybody put into it, including yourself. And, you know, again, like it really deserves all the acclaim that it's getting. So congratulations with that. Thank you so much. Yeah, we feel lucky that it got made because it's not it's not kind of a typical uh, story that you would see in animation, at least in America, like maybe more so in Europe or other countries um so yeah we were grateful for that you know and uh yeah it's it's my husband started coming up with the idea like shortly after we met he drew a beautiful japanese lady and then later another day he drew this like little boy playing a shamisan but there was like ghost characters coming out of it and back at that time i wasn't doing paper sculptures so it's sort of like as the years went on he just kept he would watch cool Japanese. He loves, he was such a film buff and he loves Kurosawa and, and um, he started getting fascinated with Japanese myths. So he started reading books on Japanese myths, sort of kind of weaving a tale together using Japanese folklore and then 
personal uh, personal life situations too. And so, yeah, like that, that, I feel like that story just took a long time, but it very organically came together. And it, it, by the time he was um, pitching it, I was doing the paper sculpture. And then at one point he thought, hey, maybe it'd be cool to have origami characters, like paper origami characters, instead of, I think I'm remembering this right, but yeah, instead of uh, smoke or um, ghost creatures when Kuba plays his shamisan. So, um, yeah. And uh, it, we kind of like, you can kind of see the influences when you watch the movie. Like I've, I've been a big fan of the Studio Ghibli. I don't know if mm. I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. But, you so. know, those movies like Spirited Away and you kind of get that feel yes. where yes. they're kind of a little bit more serious than what we're used to. Yeah. And then the yeah. dialogue kind of felt very what we're used to. <laughs> it's like the dialogue was kind of like, okay, that that great comedic you know um, american style of making animated films but there's so many influences in it which creates that uniqueness so yeah yeah actually yeah some of the comedy stuff was an afterthought i think the movie actually was it started off as much more serious but i think it was sort of later in the game they felt it needed some levity to appeal to like a broader audience you so know, the chi- that chicken wasn't in the original script. You know, that was shooting at those the eggs. Chicken, actually, I, the chicken I made, he didn't look, he didn't look that goofy. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that's that's actually exactly one of the points, one of the times where they sort of altered something to to make it more goofy. You know, to yeah, I guess appeal appeal to kids more and stuff. But yeah, my my chicken didn't have like big eyeballs and stuff like that. <laughs> he was um, a fire chicken. He looked like more like flame like. So yeah, yeah. So, but it's true. My husband, he's a big fan of Ghibli, and he he appreciates how they sort of take their time with telling a movie. They're not so fast. They let things breathe. You know, moments happen. They let people, characters, just look at each other. So yeah, I think they did try to infuse a lot of that into this movie. And is there any part of your own journey that's in there? Because I said your husband wrote it. Um, but yeah. is there any like things from your own life that he put in? Yeah, so basically, he was around when I started dating him, and um, and it turned out to be about five years before my mom was going to pass away. So he got to know her really well, and she started having signs of dementia back when I was um, about seven or eight years old. And yeah, she was about, she was in her mid-40s, and she just started doing things like not remembering how to drive home starting to cook something and forgetting about it. She was having like serious conversations with girlfriends. My mom would maybe say something kind of like inappropriate um, in the moment. She was losing her discretion. And um, I was young. So I sort of, looking back, I sort of kind of just went with the punches. I I didn't, I sort of just uh, coped with it. It was sort of the only mom I knew. And then I actually have an older sister who was a teenager when it happened. And I think it affected her in a very different way because she was, she was losing a mother that was very with it, you know, and um, could do things and could talk to her. And then all of a sudden my mom was kind of moody towards her. And so I think my sister processed it. It was a, it was a very painful thing to go through. And, um, funny later I think back you know she was a teenager and then when I became a teenager and had friends over to see my mom I would be scared to death I was like what is she going to say you never knew what she was going to say to people <laughs> and the thing is sometimes it could be like 
she just, like I said, she had no censor. And so she just say whatever. And so she would cuss. And I like, I went to Catholic school, so that wasn't really flying with people. And, uh, uh, oh my gosh, she would, she would pick me up from Catholic school and not follow the rules of how to pick me up. And she would like flip people off and cut. (laughs) So, you you know, uh, we were both very embarrassed, you know, at times too with that. Uh, but at the same time, my mom was like really funny. She was really quick witted for some reason that never was affected. But here, I'll bring it around to where the influence is with Kubo is that, so, yeah, like I said, Kubo's about the age I was when um, my mom started showing signs of dementia. And the thing is, is um, she would have very lucid moments, and then she would have moments where, you know, she was very out of it. She was asking you, like, the same question a million times. And Shannon took that problem that ha- that comes with Alzheimer's and dementia and she, he put it in the folklore of the film so basically Kubo's mother because she was like a moon princess her time of clarity and power was at night and then because she wasn't supposed to be living on earth during the daytime uh, she was very out of it so it's interesting it's I know it, with Alzheimer's it's called downers it's sort of the opposite like when people with Alzheimer's at nighttime, they, they, it's called sundowners, and they just can get really off. You know, they can get very moody and angry or, you know, try to leave the house. And so Shannon kind of took that concept and switched it around. And um, that's sort of how, yeah, like my mom was, like she was really, like I said, sometimes she was so with it. Just when you thought, you know, oh, she's silly or she's out of it, she would say something very profound or very funny. And then other times she just wasn't quite herself or wasn't there anymore. I especially found that when she was taken out of her comfort zone or environment, she just became more cranky or said inappropriate things. And so, yeah, Shannon took that same concept and put it in the character. Wow. It's amazing to hear. And I like how you shared a little bit about your mother prior because that mischievous kind of, you know, putting alcohol in the nuns sort of Easter basket, right? Like it carried through and like, that's the stuff that you're talking about that made you laugh Um, when she was more lucid. She still had this sort of, um, I don't know, feisty kind of humor to her. Even like you say, like, you know, swearing in front of like the, the Catholic school stuff. Like I think, you know, like some of that makes me think that it, she probably would have done that even if she wasn't. It didn't have to be. Yeah, I've asked that. I've asked my dad that. I'm like, was mom like this funny? Was she that funny or was it just that she was uncensored? So you just think she was. No, but she was always like, she actually, she went to high school with Fanny Flag. I think she wrote like fried green tomatoes. And they were sort of like kind of rivals. They were sort of in competition with each other, comedy wise. Mm-hmm. Those two. Um Fanny Flagg was a, yeah, like a Southern author. But yeah, also, yeah, like uh, Kubo's mom too, she, um, she was a rebel. Like she, you know, she left, she left her home with her, you know, the, the moon king and fell in love with somebody on earth. And, you know, it's, I, I, I don't think you even thought about it until just now, but that was sort of like my mom too. I mean, she had a good relationship with her family, but she sort of left everything to go be with my dad across the country. And, you know, we didn't get back to Alabama that many times in our childhood. So, yeah, I just actually just now kind of drew that connection there. Yeah, it's interesting what you what you give up for love, right? For the passion, for sort of like 
there's just something that takes you away from the things that you never thought you would leave. And it's yeah. remarkable what how it changes you, right? Like in the movie, like it was at love and because Kubo was born, you know, and and all that sort of stuff and the whole message about, you know, I think the moon king not having eyes, right? The whole thing about, you know, being afraid yeah. of suffering well, is Yeah, basically, yeah, Shane was talking about that he didn't have his humanity. He didn't understand humanity. He didn't understand that he just, he thought humanity was horrible and worthless, like weak, you know? And um, so, but his daughter like fell in love and sees the beauty in humanity. Yeah. And so like in Kubo's story, the mother always tells these stories, right? The same stories over and over again. So did your mother have any stories that she liked to tell over and over again? Oh my gosh. I want to say yes, but I think it's, (laughs) This is why it's so important to like try to think about things because <laughs> you know it's funny most of the time I, I was right I started towards the end writing down quotes she would have really funny quotes like one of the things she said to me I, I said um uh, or somebody said hey how are you doing Katie and she goes I don't know my psychiatrist hasn't called me back yet <laughs> <laughs> like just stuff like that and like I, said, I don't have I don't I didn't get that talent my daughter's got that talent she she says there's a way of putting words together in just the right way for like optimum comic effect. And like my mom was just killer with that, you know? And like I said, luckily my, my daughter's kind of gotten the same talent and my husband's very funny too. Very quick witted. Yeah. Like she's, she's immortalized herself with these funny sayings or quotes. And, you know, like you said, like, I mean, if she, she went to school with this, you know, amazing writer, I mean, you know, iron sharpens iron. So she's probably only developed those skills and, and, you know, you probably saw it play out in your life with, with her as well. Um, you know, what were, do you remember any funny moments or anything she, in particular? Well, you're making me think of, we would watch obsessively watch golden girls and this is like back before DVR. So we like had to make sure we watched it at, you know, the right time it was coming on the lifetime TV channel Blanche. down here but she would watch that she would laugh so hard i mean she would like practically go to the bathroom <laughs> and and she just kept saying i should have been a writer i should have been a writer so I, I kind of feel happy like i feel like me having pursued a career and my sister too i just yeah it's funny with my mom i think she was such a talent but she you know because of I don't know. She, her circumstances are, she, she never went to college. You know, she got married pretty young, had, had us. And I just think she was sort of like this untapped talent, you know? And I, yeah, I wonder if the dementia didn't hit her in in the right circumstances, could she have been like a a writer, a comedy writer, you know? So I, like I said, I'm happy that um, at least like my, I think she'd be proud that me and my sister went on to have, careers that we're happy with, you know, because I think that was sort of something that she would dwell on from time to time that she never got to pursue uh, a career. It's great, though, is that, you know, she did drop uh, some gems for you here and there that now you can immortalize those, uh, you know, to turn them into stories and pass them along to your kids. And, you know, and again, like, you know, as you kind of go through life, like, even though like at the time, you can't really you know, I can't really think of certain gems or, or stories that, you know, me my parents have passed along. But, you know, as you go through life, you kind of see it. You kind of like, you know, if you're doing, you know, you're driving driving down the road and you see a tree and you're like, oh, that reminds me of that time when, uh, you know, my mom said this or, you know, whatever it yeah. is. And so that's that's the beauty <laughs> of uh, life, too. Do you know what? I did just think of a story. 
<laughs> I thought of a story about she, and that's the other thing with her. She would crack herself up that she could barely get a story out sometimes because it was just, it tickled her on such a deep level. But anyway, one of the stories she got out was that her, she and her older sister passed a guy who had a pony ride thing going on and they didn't have any money. So this is crazy, but my, I believe my aunt, my, her older sister went home and got a gun. I think it was empty. <laughs> it was empty. And they went back to the pony guy and they held him up so that they could have pony rides. <laughs> Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she thought it was hysterical. That's, that has elements of, oh my goodness, but also like cuteness. Like that's like, wow. I know. I know. Like a couple little redhead Irish girls. Yeah. Give me a pony ride. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Anyway, like stuff like, yeah. Like I said, luckily I still have um, a lot of family in the South that knew her and and do tell me stories. And yeah. And then they also have like beautiful accents to go with it. My aunt, um, she speaks, her drawl is so slow that, yeah, it takes a while. But but I, I actually think it adds to the storytelling. It adds an element of uh it gives it more charm you know that's what i always say like with irish people when they cuss it doesn't sound crude or rude it's just kind of charming (laughs) (laughs) have you noticed that like certain accents like oh absolutely absolutely i'm a big fan of accents so you know it's it's they they add a certain thing to it it's it's a certain um it's a it's a beauty and, and definitely certain certain accents can get away with swearing you know british you know, when it, when a British person starts talking, it doesn't matter what he says, it sounds elegant. Uh, yeah, yeah, they right? just instantly sound intelligent. But you know what, I think, I was just thinking, you and I both come from, I, I hate to say it, but I feel like, uh, yeah, parts of Canada and parts of America too, like, I just, I think, like, the California accent is sort of generic or nothing, you know? And I feel like Canada too. I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of a distinctive, except for saying out or or about yeah <laughs> just like you, that it, that's it i can't yeah. the the french canadian uh, accent we... is probably oh, yes. uh, oh, yes. actually it's quite actually now that i think about the east coast yeah yes see a lot of parts no a lot of parts a lot of parts of america even texas has its own thing yeah um rhode island yeah the uh that that part of the east coast so, for sure maybe that's why you and i are so attracted to it would you would you say that maybe because ours oh, ours ours aren't that distinctive or or like I said sort of just more plain or generic. Uh, yeah, ours are more plain. Although yeah. the other day, my friend from California told me that I have a very distinct Canadian accent. Really? So, yeah, he said that. Know. So I felt I don't know. I felt honored though. I, I was, at least I have something. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So back to Kubo. You know what I, I yeah. love about that story? You know, is that. Even though, you know, it comes from a specific place, comes from, you know, your mother having dementia, it could also apply to other situations with children, you know, whether their mothers or or parents are suffering from, you know, just say alcoholism or this or that, you know, Yes. because the parents go through certain swings and moods and, you know, kids dealing with that. I mean, that's such an important lesson. Having to grow up, like having to grow up at a young age and... Yeah, I'm funny. Like, I feel like I had to grow up kind of at a young age. Like, I just had to start, I had to start doing things for my mother that most people don't do until their parents are elderly. And, you know, they're, they're like middle-aged, helping them go to the bathroom, helping feed them. And I started doing that stuff pretty much like 
I want to say like college is when I, I moved back home and in and, and high school too. But yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, Shannon, he, somebody who worked at Leica reached out to him and said, this movie touched me so deeply because my mother was a drug addict and I had to take care of her. And so, yeah, it's it's been kind of fascinating to hear how people are sort of seeing their own stories and it's kind of what it's all about, you know, as you share your story and then um yeah, hopefully it resonates with other people and makes them helps them process their own story or connect. Yeah, you uh, never know like how your story is going to be interpreted by another in their right. own experiences. That's why we love having people from all walks of life and all careers come on the podcast because it's, it has a unique journey, but it's, some part of it's going to hit them in a way or give them courage or give them understanding in a, in a new way. And I think sort of Kubo definitely does that in many uh, areas. So when it comes to Kubo, he got... Uh, the mother uh, got killed, right, by her the two sisters. Mm. Spoiler alert, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so for your own mother... A spoiler um, alert. Spo- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. For your own mother, w- like, was that accurate? Or, like, what, what was it that killed her in the end? Okay, the well, dementia? the smoking. That's ultimately what killed her. So her getting bored in the hospital, in the children's hospital in the the 50s i mean because yeah it just started her addiction to cigarettes and she yeah she was a pretty profound smoker and we would even hide them from her like my dad would put them up really high when she was in her 50s i think he he'd hide them from her or else she would just sit home and smoke all day and she would get his golf club and knock him down because she was like only four feet 11 <laughs> so she was just like adamant about getting to them um she'd go walk to neighbors and try to bum some cigarettes off them but yeah she ultimately she passed away from lung cancer uh actually i was helping her use the restroom in the morning and all of a sudden she couldn't breathe or she was having labored breathing difficulty and i screamed shannon was here and he died i said call 911 call 911 they said to pick her up and put her on the floor and i just had like hulk might i mean she was a little thing so we were lucky we could easily move her around but I just I remember her weighing like a feather and putting her on the ground she survived that it was a blood clot and they took her to the hospital and then that's when they discovered that she had um, lung cancer and it metastasized and uh, she is also sort of so far far gone that we went we did went to see an oncologist and he's like I'm not giving her chemo I'm not giving her poison you know and that that was the other funny thing is her having dementia is I, I wonder if it kind of helped her cope with it all. Like I, I, I'm always very curious about how, if she was very with it, if, if that would have been a more tedious mental experience, you know, I don't know. She just, yeah, she, she seemed kind of at peace with it. And we had her for about a month longer. Um, she was at home Actually, in the the home I grew up, it's the same hall I'm talking to you in. My husband and I bought my childhood home. So, yeah, she passed away in the bedroom and about a month after her diagnosis. And uh, hospice, to me, that was fascinating because or those peop- the people that came were, were great because they not only told you physically what was going on with the human body when it was shutting down, you know, like you get so nervous that they're not drinking or eating and they're like, no, it's okay. Their body's metabolizing completely differently now. 
And that, that just amazed me that our bodies even kind of set up to try to peacefully shut down so that we're not in too much agony, you know? And also they told me that they're going to start disconnecting, that that's sort of the process too. And they're like, don't be surprised she passes away when you're out of the room because they're detaching from this world. And it's so funny because I put so much pressure on myself to be with her all the time because I wanted to be there. You know, the moment she died, you know, I to support her and to not make her afraid. But that was a real eye opener that it, it doesn't, that's more, that was more for me. And that wasn't so much for her. She actually nice. passed away. I was at work and then my dad was like in the kitchen. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say, it just reminds me of like with kids, right? Like we want to be there for their first steps and their first time they say something. And the same thing, like when someone dies, we want to be there for their last breath. I think it's just yeah. that continuation. Yeah. 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 But yeah, like, like I said, I, I was just doing such crazy stuff. You know, she was, she just meant so much to me. And I had, I'd have so much, I, for years after, because uh, my dad and I were taking care of her and we also had like a, an awesome lady help us in her care. Um, but I, it was funny, like now being a mom, I get it, but I had those parental feelings at a young age of anxiety of like watching them all the time, making sure she's not choking on something or didn't fall down. And, you know, so I feel like from a, from a young age, I had a lot of that sort of parental anxiety and, and then, you know, knowing that she'd passed on and she was, it was weird. It was that relief that I didn't have to be worried about that anymore. I hear that a lot. And I hear people that go through that process and they feel the relief. They can sometimes feel guilty for that emotion. Did yes. it ever come up yes. with you? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's all, it's, it's just not black and white. Like I said, my biggest fear was her dying. Like I would just, I would think about it. And like I said, we just, we loved each other very deeply. We would like look into each other's eyes. We laughed with each other. So I was just so, I think I was just so afraid of not feeling that love anymore, you know, because it was, she fed me so much of it. Like I said, part of her personality, she would um, just tell you, so if she didn't like somebody, she'd be like, I never liked you. She'd just say that to people. <laughs> but if she thought you were a good person, a trying to person, she goes, you know, do you know, do you know how precious you are? You know how cute you are. And and for me, she would like scream, precious, like she'd scream for the room <laughs> that I was precious to her. And uh, so, like I said, I just, I, you know, I was so afraid of never feeling that again. But this happened, she passed away over 10 years ago now. And it, it is interesting because the, the, the pain subsides and my fear of never feeling her love again, it's, it's not the case. It's, it just transforms into something different. Maybe it's not her in front of me telling me so, but it's okay. I still feel it. Like, and, and like, like I've heard in other podcasts too, I think it's just so important. The most important thing is just to stop and remember, remember them, remember moments because, you know, it's kind of cliche, but they do stay alive in your brain that way. Yeah. And, I hear um, memories are a powerful thing. Yeah. And then, and then like, I'm seeing so much of her personality coming out in me now that I'm a mom, like she loves talking to people. And my daughter's always like, come on, mom, like, stop, stop talking to this person. And I, I remember kind of having that same feeling about my mom, but I'm, I'm proud I took that on with her because I, I love people and I love talking to people. And, um, and I'm happy to show my daughter that because I want, I want her to feel that way. 
about the world and people that it's and I've lived I've lived in different parts of the world too and I I love connecting with That's people amazing. From everywhere. Yeah, it's it's amazing to hear this this journey uh, that you're on with your with your grief. Is there any like what do you do to maintain a bond with your mother? I'm guessing, you know, memories are, are a big thing and I guess you're sharing them with others. Is there anything else that you do? That's a good that's a good question. Like I I I would say like the biggest thing is just how I am around my own daughter. Like I just try to I try to be the way she was as we me with my daughter and and keep a strong bond. Yeah, the other kind of bizarre thing with us is my mom took care of her mother. Her my mom was the youngest and her mother had an illness and so my mom my mother was the youngest and at home so she was kind of the one who was doing the most caretaking and then the tragedy is like my mom came out to california was pregnant with me uh later on and her mom passed away and she was my mother was seven months pregnant with me when her mom passed away and she wasn't even able to go to her own mother's funeral because she was just too it was too risky so it is this weird thing where she took care of her mom and um I never knew my grandmother, and it's the same with my daughter. My daughter never knew her grandmother. Wow, and that's it's very interesting too because you look at like I look at that and like as much as like you're forced into position, you're also not like there's things you can do to avoid it. So there's a kindness aspect to what's going on and a love, and so you could tell your your mother's love for her grandmother. But it's nice to how she almost got repaid back, you know, like in, in her time of need, her child took care of her with love and, and compassion. And I think yeah. that's something beautiful that your mom has passed on to you. And I said, as you raise your child, your child's going to have this love and compassion that sometimes you don't really see a lot of these days. I know. And it's hard. It's hard when you're a kid. You just, you just kind of want to think about yourself. And yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't a great caretaker when I was a teenager, but once I got into my twenties, I sort of started, you know, growing up more. And, uh, and that, that's the other thing, my mom, her constant motto, which I try to think of, you know, as you say, something that you try to think of with her is her basic advice in life was just to grow up. <laughs> so she would just constantly, I'd complain about something. She'd go, grow up, Meg, grow up, Meg. <laughs> and I would think about, it, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, she's right. You know, it's sometimes it's just, it's sort of like, get over it or what good is this doing you? You know, it can mean a lot of things. But yeah, it's very it's like, constructive. It's like a slap in the face. Like, come on, you know, move on. Yeah, I see grow up. Hey, it's funny because you say grow up. And I think what your mom was saying, too, it's like, it's not like suppress your emotions. It's just no. be realistic. Yeah. But it's like, what are the true issues in life? And yeah, like stand forward, up. Right? Like, like just get over it because <laughs> you're just not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing yourself any favors, you know, right. by dwelling these things. Yeah, that's. That's an interesting thing too. Yeah, just like anger, it only it only hurts you. So it's very true. And so, like I guess, like looking at your grief now, is there any sort of takeaways you you could share? I guess for other people who may be dealing with loss. Yeah, I I guess I would say, I know some people take it so hard and it just debilitates them, and it it still kind of goes along with that thing of theme of like sort of like growing up is that. You, I just think it's it's helpful to really think that pa- that passed away, the loved one that passed away, would they want you to, how would they want you to live your life? Like, would they want you to dwell? Would they want you to, you know, of course, I think they all want us to remember them and honor them, but I think it would break their hearts if they knew we were debilitated by their, their leaving. Yeah, you know absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. It's so not about, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. no I, 
Yeah, that's the way they would want you to, to live life. Doctor, remember Dr. Ruth from the 80s? Like she was really popular. She's like the sex therapist. Oh, you yeah. Dr. Ruth? I mean, no. She, was like, she said some pretty profound stuff. Well, she, she's uh, um, a survivor of the Holocaust and, and she's such a go-lucky person. And people ask her why. She's like, I do it for the people who didn't get to live. I live life in joy for those who didn't. And I was like, that, I thought that was a really remarkable outlook on life. Yeah, and, you know, I think having a mother like you've had, that you have, you know, she, she seems like a very strong woman. Seems like a very strong woman who, who needed to sometimes say some curt things to you to wake you up <laughs> yeah. and to develop you in order to have you in a place where you are now where you kind of have this mentality. You're not necessarily saddened or, or beholden by some of the grief, but you're, you're more of an, in a reflective and kind of like cherishing those times and memories. Yeah. Uh, something else I was going to like bring up earlier is um, I was just thinking about how, like when it affected me at age eight, I think about how I, I sort of had to start growing up fast. At the same time, I wonder if I'm a little bit arrested development. <laughs> too, like uh, like I said, doing the career I pursued, like doing art. Most of my stuff is very kind of colorful and and bold, and and you could almost say it's sort of a childish pursuit that I have. You know, it's not like the most serious career, but I, I do feel like there's a part of me that's sort of maybe stuck at that age, but that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> you know, like it's it's actually kind of paid off. Like I'm trying to get to a place to be more childlike. And I think there's something beautiful about that. You know, who knows? They say like, you know, what happened in the sense of, you know, why you're doing it. But you said it, it's fun and you're passionate about it. And what what's great greater than that? I think right. that's what the podcast for me and Sean, it's fun. You know, like honestly, school is boring. Like, like yeah. I've been in for so long. Um, yeah. You know, as much as the work I'm doing is important, it's still kind of boring and tedious. And so, but the podcast, it's fun. It's lively. You get to mm -hmm. talk and, you know, and hear about stories. And I love that. And this yeah. is like our little childish thing that we get to do. Yeah. And like I said, some people are lucky and they figure it out really fast and they get to start at their passion younger and I'm like kind of jealous for those people, but I'm just grateful. I eventually found it anyway. You know, I've, I'd say I found it in my, you know, mid twenties and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's just sort of the goal. That's why I just think it's important to explore different things and you'll, you'll never know if it's your passion unless you give it a shot. Yeah. Plus you're a storyteller, you know, you are, you did like Kubo, you know, you're telling <laughs> these stories through your work, through your art. You know, that's a beautiful aspect that like communities need that people need that in society a lot more. Um, so we wanted to ask, actually, have you ever had a dream about your mother after she passed? Yeah, it, I was trying to remember or I remember in other podcasts you said because I couldn't remember exactly right after she passed. And then I was thinking, well, what would I I think you've said, what dream would you wish to have? And I was contemplating that and I was like oh well I'll tell him that I wish I had a dream where my mom and my daughter got to meet um, because they never got to really exist at the same time like I was taking care of her and wasn't married so that was sort of the tragedy it's almost like my mom passing on in a weird way it did allow me to finally kind of grow up like I was able to then get married and, and have a family because uh, my father and I weren't taking care of her anymore. So that was my dream. And then just the other day, I had a dream 
she was almost looked like she, like somebody had put Vaseline all over a camera. Like she was kind of obscure and hard to see. And she was talking to me, but I couldn't hear her. I could just see her mouth moving. And I just was, my big thing was I was asking her, hey, do you know that I have a daughter? And she's, she's named after you. <laughs> yeah, she's named Katie after you. Do you know this? And she, uh, she was sort of like making a head gesture like, yes, I do know. So, yeah, wow. so that, yeah. Thanks, Josh. I think <laughs> I think only... I had that dream because you put it in my head if... <laughs> like, to have a dream about her. If but... only I was so good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Like, like people want that, right? And the people like sort of long to have those moments where they can, can have that. And that's why we ask those yeah. questions. It's amazing. You actually got triggered to have a dream because of it. So that's, yeah. it's beautiful. How, yeah, how no, you... it was great. And then actually she said yes. And then I remember hugging her and she, her, her skin was very delicate. She had like very thin, you know, pale redhead Irish skin. <laughs> and I just, and it was a little, I also got her poor circulation. So she was like slightly kind of cold and delicate, but it's like so weird. I, my body remembered her, the feeling of her skin and her hug and her like body temperature, you know, like in, in that dream. And that, that's sort of a rare occurrence for me. I don't think that's typical for my dreams, but it was also nice. It was it kind of was a nice uh, conclusion to that dream. Like, you know, sometimes dreams can get cut off, but yeah, it was just like very brief and, um, but very profound. It's amazing. So you woke up, like, so what was the, the first thing that happened when you woke up from that dream? Did you just sit there and like contemplate it? I'm trying to remember. You call um, it when you knew? Like... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to remember if it happened like, early in the morning or later you know what it was a nap i think it was like a nap dream it's gotten pretty hot out here in la and and if i get bad sleep and come three o'clock it's like hot and my sugar levels are down <laughs> i'll like <laughs> crash for an hour nap and i feel like it happened then yeah so. did you share it with your husband i did okay. yes yeah that's one of the last things. night i had a jealousy dream with him <laughs> which i i actually think is kind of a good I think it's a good thing because like it, it feels bad in the moment, but I'm like, hey, I'm really jealous. You know, I still got it for my <laughs> like I was getting really jealous about him. You know, yeah, Sean, Sean just mentioned to me. I think that's for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's a great I've, I've idea heard, though. It's a great idea. Yeah, show. no, but I've, I've I've heard you know what you've what you your feelings on dreams, and I totally agree. Like some are not something to really think about it's more like it's almost like a garbage disposal of thoughts from your day you know just mm -hmm. and then some yeah the ones that stick with you i think it's helpful to think about them and i also agree like we're, we're almost like whatever you, whatever questions you're asking yourself whatever whatever ideas that dream brings up to you is the meaning um that yeah like uh, i think you'd mentioned looking up in a dream dictionary or book, like how can that mean the same thing for everybody? So um, I really agree that it's, it's whatever thought process starts going through your head is probably what that dream is about or trying to work out. Well, happy you agree with me. That's uh, one down from the population. Uh, it's just because oh. a lot of people don't, right? Like, and that's, well, that's the, I guess, the movement or the awareness that we're trying to bring is that yeah, what's right for the person is how they feel in that moment. And sometimes when it's a little negative or it's not conducive to the grief, you step in. But for the most part, if it's positive, then let them have yeah. that experience. 
Or it's kind of like maybe it's a mix of like psychology and like Joseph Campbell, like like the um, the power of myth sort of thing. Like maybe we do think in symbols to some extent, you know, as human beings are being going through human different uh, or in our culture, you know, symbols come up. But at the same time, I think it, it's also like a mix of your own psychology and what you're what you're processing at the moment. Yeah, is it? There's there's a lot of theories, and uh, who knows, right? There's like well, science science can't figure that out yet, and it's just a beautiful mystery, and that's why I love. I always like to say, right? It's like you just have to sit in the mystery of it all and be yeah. With that. Thank you for um, pursuing this. Like, thank you for dedicating yourself to uh, study this. I, yeah, you know, I, as, as I said, in, like the first podcast, some others. It's I got thrown into it, you know, and I look back just as like sometimes you do. Like I wanted to be a first, I wanted to be an NBA player, you know, um, win yeah. some championships. And then after that dream broke down, I wanted to be a high school uh, or actually an elementary school teacher. And then that's yes. when my father passed away. So like these things in life throw you a curve yeah. and it's interesting where you end up. And like I said, like, you end up paper sculpting. That's such a unique field. I, I said, like, I've never heard of it or seen it till I saw some of your artwork. And you know, same thing with this. Yeah, it's gotten more popular, and I, I sort of I sort of attribute that to. I feel like when CG came around and it was so popular, and people were like so amazed by it. It's funny. I feel like when I started doing my work, it was there was some sort of turnaround happening where people were sort of starting to really like to see original tactile work. It was almost like we were craving that again because I I feel like when I started doing my thing, um, like Etsy was starting up, and people were doing one of a kind. You know, it's just, it's just gotten, the world's gotten so strange where like I could buy a blouse in California and the same, you know, I could buy it for a friend and she could buy the same blouse in another state. You know what I'm saying? It's, um, yeah, it's also like you have the ability to have your work displayed more like, like Instagram or Facebook or other avenues so people can like search and see it, see the amazing and please I, I um ask the 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 listeners to go check out um go check out Megan's work because it's amazing it's incredible it it'll Thank take you. your breath away that actually someone was able to do this and, and make it look amazing. Thank you. Well, it's a, it's a definitely build up from that Hong Kong junction, and then it's just over the years getting thrown different projects that I was you know completely scared out of my mind at first, and then I'm like, and then I ta- like when I was asked to do architecture. I'd never done that before, and it. But I, I love architecture, so it was like that right moment to um to tackle it and get over my fear. And then now I feel like okay, I know I know how to do this task if it comes up again. And like I said, Kubo came up at a good time where I'd I'd already been at this for like a decade by that point, so I felt ready for it, you know, um, for that challenge. But yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, for anybody who's listening, who like you think you know what you want in life and you know what career. And if, a, like they say, it's if one door closes, another one opens. Like I, like I wouldn't change anything. I'm, I'm so glad CalArts didn't accept me <laughs> into their acting program. <laughs> I was, you know, I thought at the time that was the most devastating thing for my future ever. And but you just, you just don't know. You just got to keep uh, searching for a passion. Yeah, and that's I think the key is like once you figure out what that passion is, doors will open. But it, sometimes it's a, that journey before that other doors. Like you have the door closed, but the other door it takes a while for you to find that passion for it to open. But once you find yeah. it, you know, uh, it can the be road's very clear. frustrating. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it can be depressing and frustrating. But but not doing anything is not going to change that. 
That's right. So, and that's like the biggest thing I tell myself too, is I'm, I'm a, I'm a bad starter, but once I get started, I, maybe you guys are the same way. Like once, once you get started, then you're so excited to finish it and to see how it's going to all come out. And, and so just lastly, we don't have, we've been talking for a long time and uh, that's cool. Cause we could talk for hours with you. You're such a interesting individual with a lot of oh, experience well, and, uh, and you're good on the podcast, right? Like, so um, I'm guessing you're gonna be doing more of these in the future. So now that you've had one dream of your mother, what dream would you want for your next one to maybe look like? Oh my gosh. Jeez. I don't know. I already thought about it. I already told you that. To think about my daughter. Maybe uh, sticking up some more pony rides together. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me more stories, crazy stories that I wasn't smart enough to to write down. I'm also so mad that the iPhone came out after she died because I would have gotten so much video of her. (laughs) But, you know, back, back then, it was just you had to get the old camera out, the VHS camera out. Oh, just uh, quickly, let's go back to making this dream because it's one of my passions. <laughs> making never really, a dream? Okay. Yeah, well, we never really made one yet, and it's just it's very interesting when people do. So um, let's go to the characters in the dream. So it would be your mom and you want your daughter there also? Yeah. I, just, I guess I just wish I could have – I wish she could have seen her personality or my, my mm. mom was somebody who just really always enjoyed kids so much. Yeah, just playing together or – so okay, yeah, they're playing together, and I said Sean sort of commented that maybe sticking up a pony ride together, <laughs> so they can actually that's a good idea. Why don't why don't we frame it in an amusement park? Uh-huh. You know, you, your family, your mom, your daughter, you're going to an amusement How... park. Maybe like... I know. Yeah, my mom she holds up the pony ride for my daughter, and my daughter's <laughs> like totally fine with that, or yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, the same yeah. thing. I like it. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. it. Yeah. And is uh, one last question for that? What is your is there something your your mom always wore? that she would wear in the dream? Oh my gosh. No, but there is one item in life she was obsessed with, which is bras. She was always complaining <laughs> that she needed a new bra. And then, yeah, here's another like funny dementia story. Is I'd come home from grammar school and she would have her shirt on and her bra over her shirt. And she'd be like, hey Meg, can you come over here and you know hitch my bra up for me? And I was... <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but when you... When you mentioned clothes, that's like the only thing I could think of. Because whenever you asked her what she wanted for Christmas, she's like a new bra. So, yeah. Like I said, I, I don't know if she's being serious or she just thought that was the most shocking answer. That's so another. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that. I like that. It's going to be a little whimsical. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, even that back to that memory. That's another gem they can hold on to about your mother. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Megan, I know, I know you got to run, uh, <laughs> but you know, this has been great. This has been amazing. And again, you did Thank it. You've you done guys. an amazing job. You made this very easy for both of us. It's fine. We could be here another hour or two hours. Some, someday we'll have to come to California. I, have a I, I feel like it's not fair. Like I need, I need my time to be like Barbara Walters and interview you back. <laughs> Cause I do that. I like, like my husband makes fun of me. Yeah, I, um, we, well, I start to interview people back. Uh, Shows. That's okay. And I didn't, I didn't get to that. do that today. Okay. Can, you can be a repeat guest and, you know, down the road we'll have another one and you can ask us some questions. Okay. Let me get better. Let me, let me get a couple more of these things under my belt and then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be fine. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anywhere where people can reach you or see your work? Um, 
Yeah, actually, I'm in the process. Um, this will motivate me even more so to get my revised website up that my brother-in-law has worked so hard on. Um, but yes, currently I have meganbrain.com. Like I said, soon I'm going to have my new website up, updated with more artwork. And then I also am on Instagram at mbpapersculpt. So M uh, for Megan, B for brain, I think underscore papersculpt. And uh, you should also have my husband. He's got amazing work. And I think he's C C.S. Tyndall is his. Uh, if you want to see cool Kubo artwork, too, he's he's done some really neat drawings from the beginning of the film, from the beginning of its um, production, to currently, just for having fun re- recreating those characters. Oh, okay, so that's his, that's his Instagram handle, C.S. I think it's, yeah, Tyndall. I, you could, it's part of mine, but I think if you type in Tyndall, T-I-N-D-L-E, it comes up. Excellent. So yeah, I encourage uh, listeners, please check it out. Check out Megan's website because it is amazing artwork. You won't even believe it, uh, really. You won't even believe that that's actually someone doing that. Um, and you'll really enjoy it. And also check out the movie Kubo and the Two Strings. It's an amazing film. Take your kids. Obviously, take your kids. <laughs> please don't go alone. Yeah, it's funny. People think, people think, oh, is it too heavy for my kids? But then I'm like, I went and saw Zootopia and Moana. They They all have scary moments too yeah you know so yeah i don't i don't my my daughter handled it fine and she's uh she was like five at the time so yeah and it's a great way to teach them about um kind of these a little bit darker aspects is, yeah. is with a movie like that but yeah again thank you you've done an amazing job and you're doing an amazing work as a storyteller and as an artist um you know you're really uh having a place in this world and showing people uh, your beautiful work and again working on a movie like this with a story like that and, and again we honor your mother's memory and you know it's it's uh, such a beautiful thing and hopefully she you'll keep remembering and she'll keep dropping gems on you yeah. and you'll, you'll have <laughs> dreams I think she'll do it through my daughter maybe maybe that's all she'll do yeah. I think so. <laughs> she'll say funny things through my daughter so great well thank you guys so much It's it's been a lot of fun talking to you both thank you for doing this Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll have to have you on again. Um, so for our platform, please check out uh, griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and many other podcasting platforms. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com so with love and gratitude from us to you the new beginning i have introduced myself you have introduced yourself this is a very good conversation